Welcome to another special topic episode of the Olefins Weekly Wrap-Up, a podcast by IHS Market. Today is Thursday, June 3rd. I'm Erin Roberts. Today we're joined by Mike Wall, IHS Market Executive Director of Automotive Analysis, to talk about the auto industry. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thanks, Erin. Glad to be here. This is one of the first of our crossover events, right, Erin? Yeah. We're excited to do more in the future. But thanks for taking the time to talk to us, Mike. Before we get into our conversation, can you tell us about your background and what you do for IHS Market? You bet. Yeah, I've been covering the the auto industry for about 25 years now, all told. Spent some time within the supply chain, uh, but have been with IHS Market now for about 18 years, coming by way of a, a acquisition back in 2010 uh, of a firm called CSM Worldwide. So I work exclusively forecasting um, light vehicle sales, production, powertrain trends, working closely with our automaker clients, supplier clients, and in financial clients alike. Carla, you actually have a bit of experience in the auto industry, right? I do. I do. I, in 2003, when I was uh, uh, finishing up my MBA or getting close to finishing up my MBA, I, um, I did an internship uh, with General Motors in Detroit. I was in the Buick Motor Division uh, working on the Buick Rainier. You remember that one, right, Mike? I do. I do remember that one indeed. Yeah. So I was in the marketing crew and... I think they had sent me uh, back to Austin, you know, for about a week to work with one dealer as well. And I think I even spent time trying to sell a car, <laughs> which was interesting. Well, getting started with our, our more technical questions, our first one is going to be about COVID. So from a petrochemical standpoint, the auto industry is very important. Can you talk about what the dynamics were prior to COVID and how they've changed post-COVID now? Yeah, it, it really is. It's it's remarkable. It's almost like night and day, obviously. It's almost cliche to say, you know, the disruption that, that COVID has brought to the the auto industry and obviously industry alike. And I you know obviously we had a we've had a terrible human tragedy, tragedy that's you know the the focus of uh, rightfully so. But boy, when when you start dissecting some of the impacts, the ancillary impacts on, on industry at large. Um, it's been significant to say the least. So going into COVID, we had different different regions were be starting were behaving, you know, again a bit differently. We saw China, which had been going through a couple of years of contraction. We were looking for maybe the beginnings of a, a turnaround, if you will. The U.S. market, you know, 2019 we sold 17.1 million vehicles, brand new vehicles in the U.S. Uh, in 2019, and we were looking maybe for a bit of a leveling off, uh, but still decent volumes, and you know, and still kind of plugging along. And in Europe, particularly West Europe, it was kind of a maybe dub it sort of a, a muddle through scenario. You had Brexit in there, you know, how quaint it is if you're talking about Brexit at this point. <laughs> thinking about that, well, now you go through COVID, and then last year we had, you know, for the, for folks that remember, six, seven, eight, nine weeks of. The industry shutting down, industry writ large shut down, and you know we weren't producing anything, uh, and we weren't really weren't consuming a lot in terms of consumer consumption on that end. Although you know we were doing a lot of homebound type of consumption, as it were, so that had a ripple effect, and and that ripple effect, and it's actually in, in supply chain management, it's called the bullwhip effect, where you you talk about bringing uh, bringing industries back online in that ramp up process 
it's not as easy as flipping a light switch. So what now we look 12 months hence, we're still feeling the impacts of that reboot process and, and especially in automotive. And, and you, one has to know, look no further than the dealership down the, you know, down the street and see the dearth of new vehicles on the lots, the dearth of used vehicles on the lots, frankly, as well. Industry is having a challenge Again, getting supply of a variety of subcomponents. Again, it's in the press right now. Semiconductors is obviously all the rage. We can we we see that as a recurring theme. But I will say for for those you know listening, it's not just semiconductors. It's sheet steel. It's rubber. It's petrochemical in some cases. It is uh, you know again this is sort of a manifestation of of the situation that we're facing right now. Yeah, I think the the only thing that I would add, Mike, is that. This is kind of the direct consequence of just-in-time management, right? I mean, I think the Japanese automakers were sort of the uh, the leaders in this space of just-in-time management. And I think it's uh, when, when a pandemic like this happens, the bull whip effect is really magnified, right? Because now we need all of these components and all these materials at the same time, right? Yeah, there and there are clearly some components that are just not as conducive to be operating under sort of that just-in-time sort of mentality. Uh, again, semiconductors is one. When you, when you look at it, and, and I, I am not the semiconductor expert within our automotive vertical, to be sure, but in talking to our folks that are covering that, it's clear when you look at the, the, the manufacturing cycle of a semiconductor chip, all the way from the, the raw silicon coming in and the wafer going out, then going into the integrated circuit, further down the line, it's a long process. Mm -hmm. So when you match up that long manufacturing process with a just-in-time kind of mentality and, and, and process within the automotive space, there's a juxtaposition there, and clearly. So so there's gonna be a lot of, I think, rethinking. And again, not just with, with semiconductor chips, it's it's with a, a wide variety. I'm not saying just-in-time's going away by any stretch, it's not. It's, it's, a, it's a mainstay of the auto industry to be sure. But there will definitely be some adjustments. There will definitely be a reevaluation of different either commodities and or subcomponents, uh, maybe different call it gradations of, of just in time, as it were, to really make to try to prevent these this type of thing from happening in the future. Yeah, because I know on the chemical side, I mean, that's that's a big thing, right? Inventories and inventories were at the lowest level they've ever been. Right. And so I, I know a lot of people are kind of focused on, hey, you, you know, getting all, getting back on track after all these weather events in the in the U.S. Gulf Coast, right? Getting back on track and try to rebuild inventories just to be able to get things at an even keel and from a petrochemical market standpoint. Yeah, I mean, we got a crash course in petrochemical ourselves in the automotive vertical with those Texas storms because it did highlight, you know, just at the absolute wrong time, obviously, because you did have the, the chip shortage then it was compounded by what we also seen. We haven't even really touched on it. Port congestion and port disruptions. You know, a big ship blocking the Suez Canal certainly doesn't help in this either. But right. those right. Texas storms, when we start looking at those feedstocks going into seat foam, going into plastic resin, going into you know all parts of you know plastic parts in a vehicle, it does highlight just the the, the ramifications involved and the the interconnectivity between automotive and, and so many other industries, uh, you know, around the world, really. So narrowing our focus of the auto industry a little bit, in our conversation with Bill the other week, we talked about the EV impact on synthetic rubber. 
Would you say that the EV or electrification targets are currently achievable for industry? Oh yep. boy, that, that is this is the the the, the story of the day. And, and you know, yeah, Mike, are they of, are they putting the toes in the water, or are they actually spending the money? The the automotive manufacturers. You know, if you were to ask me that a few years back, I would say there's a lot of aspirational talk and 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 a lot of uh, maybe PR talk to you know in in one way of framing it. That's no longer the case. I mean, money, real money is being spent. When I say real money, billions are being spent um, right now as we speak. So the, the, there is significant skin in the game. So from that perspective, very real. Um, in terms of the, are the targets achievable, it really does get down to a conversation around you know, the regions at hand. You know, really, when you think about the electrification, global electrification, you can almost synthesize it to three key markets in particular, obviously US slash North America, Europe, particularly West Europe, and then China. Uh, and uh, granted, there are many other markets beyond that, but you, to think about those three masthead, you know, big tent markets, if you will, incredibly different approaches, well, especially China and Europe versus the US. You've got some heavy government in influence, uh, register, uh, regulations and, and emission requirements, subsidies and things like that. Carrot and stick approach really uh, that is being uh, implemented in both Europe and greater China. And in the US, it's we're in the early stages of this because I'm mindful of the fact it was only a, several months ago, we had a completely different administration in office uh, in Washington DC. Now that's changed. And there's a, there is a almost 180 degree shift in either the uh, encouragement or the, 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 the goals around electrification. Now, the good news from, a, from an automotive perspective, again, the automakers have been marching towards this electrified future. Again, some are farther along than others. Uh, is it achievable though? Going back to Aaron's original question, I, I think it is in many ways, but we're not there yet. I mean, we're, we're in this, in this uh, kind of squishy middle and we're going to be in the squishy middle for a period of time where we've got internal combustion engine vehicles right alongside electrified vehicles. Um, you're going to have a, uh, there's a deluge of, of new electric vehicles coming down the pike. Some are already here, but there's a lot more coming. So from a consumer perspective, there's going to be a lot of choice, a lot of selection, um, a lot of product out there. But we're also I'm also mindful of the fact that last year, 2020, it was just under 2% take rate for full electric vehicles in the US. So we've got, uh, you know, again, we've got some work ahead of us on that. But again, we've got more product coming down the pike too. So this isn't gonna be for lack of product by any stretch. There's gonna be a multitude of other factors at play, charging infrastructure, incentives, and, and other either, again, carrot or stick on the part of the government. A lot of that's gonna come into play as well. Yeah, you, it's funny you talked about uh, the charging infrastructure. Um, many people know, and Aaron certainly knows, I've been under a long-term renovation in my in my house, and I really debated whether I should future-proof my house and put in a 220 connection in the in the carport just to make sure I I, I had it ready to go. Ultimately, I did spend the extra money. It wasn't a lot since the house was opened up, but I ultimately I did spend the extra money to put in the 220 connection. It's inactive. But if I have to activate it, then I have to change my whole, uh, you know, power into the uh, into the property. But still, I went ahead and did that just in case. 
I don't know about you. Have you yeah, done that? Yeah, money well spent. I did the same thing when we were doing some renovations in our house, and uh, and and I was very much on the fence. And this was a few years back, but it, I think you're going to find it. It is money well spent down the down the road because it gives you that optionality. And, and increasingly, uh, you know, we're seeing within the auto industry, we've seen this period of sort of transition. Again, internal combustion engines aren't going away tomorrow, or you know, or next year, or in the next five years, but we are going to see this steady migration towards more and more electrification. It's almost like the consumer electronics approach, right? Because now that they're battery operated, I mean, do you, would, would people start upgrading their cars every two years? That would be interesting. Well, the, 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 it is interesting you mentioned that because the auto industry has, has almost taken a crash course in consumer electronics type of mentality. When you look at the infotainment and the head units going into these vehicles, when you think about, it's not just enough to have Apple CarPlay and Android Auto anymore. You need wireless Apple CarPlay, wireless Android Auto. So there's this natural progression towards more and more and more within the auto industry that is more indicative or certainly more reflective of a consumer electronics type industry as well. And I think that dovetails in and, and certainly follows with the uh, the electric vehicle activity as well. And, and frankly, we see that within within the industry in terms of vehicle redesigns, not so much full redesigns, like complete ground up redesigns, but certainly more facelifts, more, more mid-cycle enhancements to try to incorporate these, these technological features. Well, just, just let me know if you got an in at Porsche, you know, I would love to have a Porsche Taycan, but unfortunately I don't have Porsche Taycan dollars. So <laughs> yeah, me either. I, I, but I would like one. <laughs> okay. Well, with all that being said, what is IHS projecting for the EV fleet by 2030 in the U S and globally? And then also what are some of the drivers and motivations behind that projection? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as I mentioned previously, a lot of this is driven by um, the, sh the 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 encouragement by governments. I say encouragement, but again, carrot and stick, looking towards more to, to rein in greenhouse gas emissions, to really focus on, um, again, cleaner burning renewable sources. And for electric vehicles right now, that is electricity and battery and, and battery electric vehicles. So when you look at Europe, you know, we look at 2020, full battery electric penetration in Europe proper, roughly 4%. By 2025, we see that growing to 19%, and then by, by 2030, growing to well north of 40%. So a significant, significant uh, growth path, if you will. And again, part of that CO2 emission requirements that are quite onerous if you're running you know straight internal combustion and it's going to be harder and harder to hit those requirements without shifting towards electrification greater china a very similar ramp up a ramp curve you're talking about five percent in 2020 closer to 19 percent again by 2025 very similar to europe and then 33 ish or so percent in 2030 us is a little different and again i alluded to that earlier you know we've got we've had some differing standards if you will uh, some differing initiatives and focus as it relates to um, you know how, how we ch choose to go about you know hitting our cafe standards which has evolved into you know other naming conventions too sort of the safe act through the prior administration and now we have a new administration there looking to certainly um, uh, encourage EV adoption in its own right but it's going to be a, a process so we look at EV adoption in North America in 2020 roughly around three percent or so 
by 2025, we see it growing to 10%. And the, the big wild card, and I think it really is post-2025, because that's where I think we're going to see more alignment between the federal government in California and California Resources Board and some of these other stakeholders, that we could see that number by 2030 growing to 20%. And I think there's even some upside to that if we, depending on what we see coming out of some of the, uh, the government uh, incentives, between the incentives, again, that carrot and stick approach, I think we could see some, some further upside to that. And then a little bonus question that we have is, are there any other new technologies that are separate from the electric vehicles? Yeah, because I know, I know Mike on the, on the chemical side, there's been a big push into hydrogen and uh, I'm sure you remember, I mean, Honda was kind of one of the pioneers in the hydrogen fuel cell, and they still have it somewhere lurking around in their product slate. But, uh, you know, hydrogen is kind of a big push right now in the, in the chemical side. What, what do you see in the emerging EV field? Yeah, we still, we do still see hydrogen coming up, you know, in terms of investment in, in dollars, capital dollars being deployed there from a number of automakers. It's, it's almost, uh, there seems to be this recognition that, you know, eventually the way will be led through some sort of hydrogen or slash fuel cell path. That will be the, the, the sort of the destination, if you will. Problem is, is that whenever we talk about hydrogen fuel cells, they're always five to 10 years down the line. And I've been, you know, this has been the case for the last 10 years or so. It's always been kind of five to 10, five to 10. And in the meantime, what the industry has been coalescing around is a battery electric type of deployment. Now, and even that has a lot of nuances to it because we talk about battery electric like it's this universality uh, or this homogeneous uh, you know, concept. And it really isn't. When you look at the battery technology, uh, there are all sorts of different technologies within the battery front. We talk about lithium ion going you know, eventually solid state or lithium air. There's all sorts of different technologies and chemistries that can be involved. So there's even subsets within that. But then certainly, again, fuel cells is another category that is being uh, is certainly being explored by a number of automakers. And again, capital dollars are being spent towards that as well. They just tend to be a little further down the line. And where I do see, where I think potentially we could see fuel cells um, taking an even bigger role is ironically enough, maybe with that last mile delivery, um, also maybe commercial fleets where you can have sort of a hub and spoke uh, hub and spoke model, if you will, in terms of for the for the refueling infrastructure, because that's one a, a bit of an Achilles heel right now with with uh, hydrogen fuel cells. Not the only thing out there that's a, a headwind, but refueling infrastructure. We talk about charging infrastructure with battery electric. Well, it's even rarer in terms of uh, on the hydrogen fuel cell side. And you can count on maybe one hand or two hands in, in certain markets. So we've got, we would have a, a, a much uh, a much bigger burden to bear in order to help with that adoption, were it not for maybe employ, employing sort of that, again, hub and spoke approach or some sort of commercial uh, approach, I think there is some opportunity for that on, on, uh, in the in the, at least the near to intermediate term on that front. Man, Mike, this is great, man. This is uh, you know, as a car guy, I, I love talking cars, but I won't I won't uh, I won't burden our listeners with all the you know shop talk on cars. So, but this has been great. Th- thanks for coming on. No, absolutely. I always like talking cars. Absolutely. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a like or leave a review if you enjoy it. 
Check out ihsmarket.com chemical for more information on subscribing to our services. And if you have questions or want us to cover something more specific, you can send an email to me at erin.roberts at ihsmarket.com. Until next time, 